Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. You have the most classic David versus Goliath. You have the first time you have a six seed eligible to play in this. And frankly, it, it reiterates the power of the structure of what the playoffs are and can be. And you have to wait. Capital One presents World Series on Friday. Yeah. It's you have. So they can chase Tony down in the interim. Yeah. You have a. Yeah. <laughs> pay him all that money. And their 18.25% interest <laughs> compounded by minute by minute. By you minute. discovered what every 18-year-old college freshman is warned about. <laughs> this is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. I'm still reluctant to tell that story um, about buying this bed and being charged unbelievable amounts of interest because someone in this house felt that we had paid it off had not paid it off and the interest they charge is staggering it's like when you get if you ever take the time to do this i'm an advocate for paying the entire bill never paying a portion of the bill paying the entire bill now you can turn around and you can say to me that's easy you have money i don't have enough money to pay the entire bill so i'm i'm not going to make a value judgment here but i will tell you this if you look at and it's required by law i assume at this point if you look at a credit card bill There will be a couple of boxes that tell you if you just pay off the minimum and you don't pay off the rest of the balance, you will finally pay it off in X and it's usually 2036 (laughs) and it will finally cost you and it's usually $43,000. Yeah. Right? I mean, you see that on every bill. You see that on every bill. Yeah. So what they are saying to you without saying it is we are charging an unbelievable amount of interest. We are compounding it on a minute-by-minute basis, Capital One. And you're, you're dead in the water. So don't do this. You're warned. Don't do this. But did you agree to the terms? Of course I did, because I didn't ever anticipate <laughs> when I bought this And you're pre-approved for another thing. card. Right. <laughs> right. I didn't ever... First of all, I didn't make the purchase. I didn't ever believe when the purchase was made that it would go down this hole in such a terrible manner, and I would end up owing so much more money than I thought. I thought it had been paid off. I was acting under the advice of someone I know very well who said it had been paid off. And I said, well, then we're not paying the rest of this. What is this? We don't even want this other product, this, this table and chairs. Don't even want it. Cancel it. But I was given bad information. Bad intel. Yeah. yeah. I had only paid off half of it. And I already canceled the other thing, and the rest of the balance was due on the first item. Months of this. But I don't want to tell the story. So you're out every single way, and you don't even get the table and chairs. That's right. You've paid for something you can't even hold, you can't even see. Right. right. But you have the and points, And by the way, right? when you... When you well, it's, no, it's not on my card. Oh. It's on a oh, new so you can't card. Even, can't even leverage this into holiday gifts. No, nothing mm. I can do with this. Um, Sorry, and when Jackie. you buy something now that's not in a grocery store... They tell you it, it, you can't get it. You're going to have to wait. But they want you to pay them now. Sure. They want, you know, it's like the old thing, I'll gladly pay you on Thursday for a hamburger today. <laughs> right? So they want you to pay them now for an item you're not going to get. And then they delay getting you the item. They say, oh, yeah, due to a supply chain problem, I know we told you we could get it to you in August, but now it's going to be November. So the money, you know, I mean, a reasonable, this is my reasonable position. If I don't have the product, why don't you wait 
for your money until I have the product, and then I'll pay you your money. In this particular case, I thought I had paid off that we bought two different items. I thought I had paid off the one item in full. I was told that I was given bad information. There's nobody to blame. Look, I did this. I'm just saying I came up against something that was amazing to me. And the second item was delayed and delayed and delayed. And I finally said, no, I'm not paying for it. No, cancel it. We can't do that. You know, you made you made the compact with the company and you can't do that. Yes. And yet talk you talk to people all the time. You you finally get people and they say there's nothing we can do. You go, no, no, that's not true. <laughs> that, that is <laughs> just simply not true. <laughs> yes. Life is a series of negotiations. Yes. There's something you can do, but they hide behind there's nothing we can do. Then you get a supervisor and the supervisor says, We're good with our customers and we're not doing this anymore for you. We've given you everything we can. So Capital One, thanks a lot. I got distracted. There's a scene in Caddyshack. I ain't paying no 50 cents for no Coke. (laughs) Then you, Dad, are not getting no table and chair. That's exactly what happened. Well, I'm also thinking this is better than the conversation, you know, that the restaurant owners had with Ray Liotta in Goodfellas. Right. Yeah, we had a bad month. Sorry. Pay me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I just love when news from, I don't know, two years ago, the shipping delays uh, just finally gets to you. Capital One is omnivorous. That's all I'm going to say. Sure. You know, and their headquarters are in Falls Church, Virginia. That's right. Ten be, miles it's from be where easy I to am. get to them then. You can't. You can't. They don't have phone numbers. <laughs> no. And, they, and, when you, and I have emailed them, the heads of customer relations and customer service and public. I get no answer. Have you tried the trick where you take like first, first initial or first name, last name, and then you do the email just like at Capital One and just try and flood all their emails? I don't know how to do that. Let me thank Matt Brotherton. This is something good. Over the past year or so, I've heard you mention Kinlock Golf Course and Justin <laughs> Verlander on the Pardon the Interruption show. If you don't want to depend on him for an invite, I'm open to, ho- open to hosting you at Kinlock. This is the fourth person yes. in the last week who's open to hosting me at Kinlock. My Division Three basketball career at Roanoke College isn't as impressive as being in the upcoming World Series, but I can promise <laughs> you a fun round of golf at Kinlock. Keep me posted. How nice is that? That's it's just phenomenal. so nice. Travel day leaving Philadelphia? Uh, yeah. Just take the wide route back to Texas? I don't even want to go th- yeah, and have Justin Verlander just drive down and take me himself. <laughs> right. um, I don't want to go through this thing again about Friday start. It's just stupid. Well, you have to be flexible. Let me explain how this works. Everything is not the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is a site decided years in advance because no home team is at the game. You're not qualifying for the game in your stadium. You're qualifying for the game unless you get lucky like the Rams last year because 10 years ago it was set up at SoFi Stadium. That's very, very unusual. The Super Bowl is at a neutral site. The World Series is not in a neutral site. You don't know where the World Series will open until the series before is done. Now, you may have known this. You may have known that we'll either open in New York or Houston because they both had better records than San Diego and Philadelphia. Maybe that's how it's determined. But you can't be certain where until that series is over. So you build in time for a seven-game series. I understand this. You build in time for a seven-game series. But every single year, you find out within days of the World Series where it's going to open, which implies a certain flexibility is on the table. 
because it could open in the other city. Yes. And you cannot be certain where it's going to open. So when you are certain that it will open in Houston, why are you waiting until Friday? Here's what you don't want to do if you're Rob Manfred or anybody with a brain in baseball. You don't want to compete head-to-head with football. You don't want to do it. You're not going to win. If you opened up yesterday, Tuesday, there was no football on television. And by the way, it's easy to get to Houston. Planes are going all the time. That's a big You're going to charter. No TV conflict Tuesday against football. No TV conflict Wednesday against football. Off day Thursday, avoiding a conflict against, uh, against football. Game three Friday, no TV conflict against football. Why wouldn't you do that? Why? Why? Let me move on. There are certain times when I text you something during a game, and then it gets stuck in your head. So as soon as the Phillies, that game looks like it's over with the Harper home run, I send you this text, and you have not let it go now in four days. Because I think I'm right. I think you're totally right. It's, the one thing you have to allow is to, the World Series needs a story to build. Get Harper out there front and center and let him go against it. You're not going to go against football directly, but let him build a story to get people to watch. Nobody even knows the World Series is going to happen. Yeah, you forget. It's, it's, it's out of the news. It's out of the cycle. You've got Halloween. That, you've got that right? momentum. It's out of the cycle. You've got that momentum. You want to keep it. And last night, you're flipping around. You're thinking, this would There's be nothing a- on television. <laughs> hey, we've got to protect night. the mass singer, the okay? Washington Wizards. <laughs> it could be Andrew Lloyd Webber night again. <laughs> Terrible. It's awful. One other thing got in my head the other day. Don't know why. Don't know why. I was walking down the street and suddenly into my head came a song called Keep the Customer Satisfied. It's a Paul Simon Art Garfunkel song from 60 years ago. It has a line in it that Paul Simon wrote when he was 19 or 20 or 21 where he goes, I've been slandered, libeled. I hear words I never heard in the Bible. It's a brilliant line. It's just utterly brilliant. And, it's, and it says that I'm one step away from the shoe shine two steps away from the county line, just trying to keep the customer satisfied, satisfied. Genius shows itself early. Doesn't show itself late. Genius wears out after a while, and you get satisfied with the position you're in. It shows itself early, right? In your 20s and 30s, if not earlier than that. So when these MacArthur people give these genius grants... To people in their 50s and 60s, it's over, pal. <laughs> they might have been geniuses. They're out of the genius protocol by then. They're satisfied. They've done their best work. Now, it's possible with certain creative forms, because I was told this. I was told this that uh, Whistler's mother, you know, the, the artist, that John Whistler's mother became an artist very late in her life and was brilliant mm-hmm. as, at art because she never did it before, maybe. You know, so maybe that's possible. I don't know that that's genius. Maybe it is genius. I'm utterly convinced Paul Simon is a genius. Sure. It showed itself early. It doesn't mean he doesn't write great tunes now, though I don't know what he's writing now. It doesn't mean Bob Dylan doesn't write great tunes now. It doesn't mean Bruce Springsteen doesn't write great tunes <clears throat> now. But the creative burst, the incandescent creative burst, the flame that can be seen for thousands of miles from Earth Happens young, doesn't it? Yeah, I agree with you for these when it's totally coming from within. But I think there's certain genius 
where you sometimes need to wait for the time and place to meet where you are, particularly when you're thinking of scientific discoveries, okay. uh, things in medicine, that things may take that, a longer dis- time. That, that you're discovering in the natural world because you might need other pieces in place right. to finally put that puzzle together. What's that Matt Damon movie? It's so good. Goodwill Good Hunting. Hunting. Right. Matt Damon's a kid. He's drawing on the board. He's a kid. He's got it. He's a genius. Okay? <laughs> it's such, such a good movie. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Such a, the first hour of that movie, it gets bad by the end. Yeah. It gets to be a dopey love story by the end. But the <laughs> hey, first don't hour. Don't dismiss the car. You know, the, the first <laughs> hour of that movie, including the fight on the playground. Oh, that. It's w- just brilliant. Isn't it like a Steely Dan song it's playing as that's going on or something such, like that? You yeah. hit a cop, you're going in. <laughs> yeah. Right. You like apples? How about them? I got a number. How about them apples? Just so... Written by both of them, right? That's right. Damon and Affleck. Yeah. That's genius. Won the Academy Award, I believe, for For, a screenplay. For a screenplay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just... You're right about scientific things because you can't... But the things from within, you're... Like piano. Yeah, artistically, artistic creativity. A 14-year-old sits down at the piano and suddenly he's Beethoven. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's something special But even going like with on. Good Will Hunting, you have an editing process where they wanted it. I think the movie was originally supposed to be a lot more about the, the spy angle and what he could have been doing elsewhere. And they said, no, the story is the, the friends. It's you guys growing up. Yeah. That's just great. So, Paul Simon. I mean, you, you heard it. You, he was so young. You heard it at that age. It's, it, this is not Moon Spoon June. It's not. It's way deeper than that. And he, and he had it for many, many years if he doesn't have it now. Um, Graceland, he was probably in his 30s. Yeah, it came out in the 90s, late, right? No, the 80s. Was it I late think. 80s? You know, uh, it's every song. Yeah. Every song is brilliant. Lyrically, you know, just, just amazing, yeah. You know, with, even a phrase like, with, you know, over there with a roly-poly little <laughs> bat face girl. I mean, who? you can't just do that. I wrote for a living. You can't just do that inspiration comes to you from god it's just great we'll take a break chuck todd will bring the show down by picking games in a little while we won't talk about genius i'm tony kornheiser hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline you're listening to the tony kornheiser show the tony kornheiser show This is a band called The Stivs, S-T-I-V-S. This is a song called The Satisfaction. I guess they're into the. Yeah, like the Facebook, the the Hulu. The Hulu. Jimmy K writes us. I've been listening to the show since the early 2000s. It's my second time writing you. The first time was about 10 years ago, and it was about tipping the worker man's rolls of quarters. I'm still waiting for you to get to that one since you've been catching up with old emails. (laughs) This time I'll be asking you to play a song or two from our band, The Stivs. We consider ourselves back alley rock and roll in the vein of the New York Dolls meets ACDC. We will be playing on October 29th at Revival in Salisbury, Maryland with our friends Apollo 66 from D.C. So that's this weekend. That's Saturday night, right? October 29th at Revival in Salisbury, Maryland. They're called the Stibs. 
We'll get to them later as well. Thank you, Jimmy Kay. And I still tip the worker man's Rolls a roll of quarters. Yeah. What's so bad about that? Plays in Chuck Todd. Chuck had a winning week last week. Not great, but four and three. He's at 23-26-1. The monkey's crushing, but these things happen. Monkeys get lucky every once in a while. Do you want to review last week on any level, or do you want to just go to this week? Look, I, I think having a winning week after, I mean, God. that I'm just thankful. I don't think you gave, uh, you gave me Patriots Bears. Thank God for that. I, we know nothing, Tony. Yeah. Can we just say this? Yeah. We know nothing. Kansas City's good. Okay. We can agree on that. Other than that, what do we really know? It's hard. It's really hard. Uh, the first game out of the box is a very hard game, given who Tom Brady is and who Tom Brady has been. It's Baltimore at Tampa Bay. Baltimore's giving one and a half at Tampa Bay, which a year ago is unthinkable. And Baltimore's a good team. This never would have happened a year ago because people look at Tom Brady, who either sails it or short arms it, he was nowhere near his receivers after Mike Evans dropped a touchdown. Tom Brady, he's 45 years old. When is the end? Is the end now? Baltimore minus one and a half. Who you got? I, I, this is, it's, if it weren't for the whole Brady situation, it would be easy to say, oh my God, Brady and the points. How do you yeah. ever say no to Brady getting points? Yeah, but. But, I, I, but right, is, I don't know. I guess I'd rather get caught with Brady and the points here one more time than, than not, and Baltimore has a way of somehow frittering a game away. In the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah I mean, God, they do this. You know, this is – got to figure something out because they're a really good team for three quarters. Um, and then they just seem to not know what to do, uh, not know how to shut the door in the fourth. Everybody has a chance to beat them in the fourth. So I'll, I'll stick with Brady, but I, I wouldn't put real money on this game because this is, of, yeah. of that. You're going to have an opportunity to take Rodgers with points, with a lot of yeah. points. Rodgers, yeah. they've lost three in a row, and they're not scoring a lot of points. We'll get to that. Here's another game. Arizona on the road is plus three and a half. You hate the three and a half. You just wish it was three. At Minnesota. Minnesota, I guess, <laughs> is coming out of a bye week. Minnesota yeah. has been good this year, but they fade – when the spotlight is on, boy, oh, boy, do they shrink. Yeah, where, where is, is this game at 9, at 9 o'clock? Is this, is, the, this, is this the London yeah. game? Right. Oh. Is this, please tell me it's the game that's not at 1 or 4, right? Is this the London I game? don't think it is. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I, think it is either. No, the Jags are London or okay. this week. So it's at yeah. Minnesota. You know, the, um, the, the Cardinals are really good on the road. Um, they've been a really good road team. They travel well for uh-huh. whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hopkins made He's a back. huge difference. D-Hop. That was a, I mean, when you, it is amazing when you see a quarterback, and I'm watching Rodgers very closely, he has nobody he trusts. And then all of a sudden you see a quarterback who finds his receiver that he trusts. And it was, you, you sit there and you're like, how come they're not double covering Hopkins? It's clear he's only throwing to one guy. Yeah. Well, it didn't matter, right? Hopkins got open. He's one of the five Great best receivers re- in football. There's a, a yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, that's a lot of points. Uh, and I like the Cardinals. They travel well on the road, so give me the cards. Okay. New England was minus two and a half a couple of hours ago. Now they're down to <laughs> minus one and a half. New England has nothing on offense, you know, that, that you can rely on. You know, when people say, oh, they're benching Mac Jones. Let's not go nuts here, kids. Mac Jones is a second-year quarterback with an 11-10 record as a starter. He's not Drew Bledsoe, who took a team to the Super Bowl. New England is at the New York Jets. 
This is now down to New England being a one and a half point favorite. I have to be honest. I mean, it's not that I'm convinced the Jets are good, but the Jets have won a lot of games. Now, their problem is they lost their best running back. I was just going to say They're a grinded out team, and they've lost their rookie running back, Brees Hall. So maybe New England is more attractive than they were 48 hours ago. Brees Hall's out for the rest of the season. Who you got in this one? Yeah, that's if it if it weren't for that, I, I'd yeah. I'd uh, I feel like that we don't know what the Jets already struggle on offense, yeah. and now you're taking away their best, their most reliable guy. It 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 um, you know, I don't feel great about. You can't believe it, you don't feel great about a, a team that has decided because what's the rule if you have two quarterbacks? You, you have none. none. Yeah, um, and it certainly looks like New England is um, looks closer to none than than one. Um, so, but I, give me New England here, because again, does Belichick lose two in a row to the Bears and the Jets? Hard I know to we've been saying this about the about Aaron Rodgers. I mean, this whole season is a lot of those. Are the so and so going to lose three in a row to the Giants, Jets, and the Commies? Yeah, yeah, apparently they are. <laughs> Here's one: the New York Giants are six and one. They're at Seattle. They're plus three. They're six and one. Seattle is they were four plus and three, three last week. Yeah. They get, they're Rodney Dangerfield, man. They're plus, <laughs> they're plus three. Seattle, Seattle has made the greatest trade in the history of the world. They got rid of Russell Wilson, who stinks this year. Is this Herschel, the 21st century Herschel Walker trade? Uh, it's, it's an amazing trade. You would, they get a number one pick next year, which, by the way, could be the number one pick because Denver is that bad. <laughs> And they brought in Geno Smith, a total retread, and he's leading the league in pass completion percentage. So they're hard to figure. They love their coach, Pete Carroll, which matters. The Giants better love Brian Dayball because he's the coach of the year at the moment. The Giants are getting three. It's, it's a long distance to Seattle. Your body clock is on a different time zone. But you're 6-1 and one and you're getting three. So last week I said, well, you are what your record says you are, and the Giants—they're a five-and-two team. No, no, they're not. They're a six-and-one team. I—I <laughs> I, I want to use the same logic here, for the same reason. And oh, by the way, Seattle knows how to—they can score some points. Yep. And I don't—you know—the Giants have a formula, and you know the Jaguars move the ball on them plenty. They just didn't put points on the board. They can, I think they I think they turned it over on downs once inside the ten, uh, and a couple other places. So once again, I yeah, I'm I'm betting on a re, I guess uh, um, the regression. If you bet the process here, you're betting on the regression. This just feels like at some point the Giants regress to the mean here. So so you'll take. I mean the Seahawks. Okay. Here's another one. I, I this point spread I don't understand at all. San Francisco 49ers got killed last week. They got beaten down last week. I understand they have Christian McCaffrey. I understand that in time, having Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel on the field at the same time could be electric. They're at the Rams. Now, they beat the Rams in the regular season all the time, all the time. And the Rams look almost forlorn. I am, though, surprised, Chuck, that San Francisco is minus one and a half on the road at the Rams. But you're the one that I remember lecturing me the last time. You're like, they always they do. beat the Rams. They do. They beat them. Right. Regular it is season. something weird. Now, Seattle seems to have the number of San Francisco in that division yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. So, um, but but there is something about San Francisco always being. And the Rams just look dead. They do. 
you know, you know, we sit here, we've been, you know, the Rams are lucky that Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are, are nose diving because if they weren't, they'd be the, they'd be the story of what happened to the Rams. hundred percent. Uh, they just don't have the, uh, personalities, uh, that, that everybody else does. So I, you will take San Francisco. Have to take San Francisco. It just looks like it's okay. they're the better team. Nobody expects Green Bay to actually beat Buffalo. Maybe Aaron Rodgers does. It's at Buffalo. Nobody expects them to win. Cold weather won't matter because Green Bay is cold. But 11 and a half. I can't imagine that Aaron Rodgers in his entire career has ever gotten mm-hmm. 11 and a half at Buffalo. Even I would take these points. Yeah. <laughs> I would. How about you? <clears throat> yeah, no. It's a ton of points. It's amazing that, that the spread has moved. You know, up. Nigel told me, he's like, hey, it went from 10 and a half to 11 and a half. Went up. I was going to take it at 10 and a half. Yeah, at I... this point, you wait and you wait and you wait. Be 14. Uh, look, I, I will make an actual football case for why the Packers uh, are, are, this is a good spot for them. Their defense is built to try to slow down, pass, uh, slow down passing. It is not built to slow down a good running team. And they've been susceptible to good running teams. The Jets exploited this. The Giants exploited this. Even the Commanders, to a lesser extent, exploited this. The one thing Buffalo didn't have, you can sit there and say they have. They don't have a great running game. Nope. They don't need it. Josh Allen's their running game. But So I, I, I do think if the Packers' defense is ever going to show up, they have a great secondary and a good pass rush. This isn't a bad spot for them. So, yeah. I, you know, I, they couldn't beat the Jets. There's something. This storyline wouldn't wouldn't be shocking, right? They, they lose three in a row to the Giants and, beat and, and beat the Bills, right? Yeah. Welcome to the NFL in 2022. I think you have to take um, the points. I, think you I have am to. taking the points. Uh, now one more game, Washington. Which I, and I don't care if you are what your record says you are. No, 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 no. <laughs> Washington isn't any good. I love Taylor Heineke. Obviously, the players love Taylor Heineke. They haven't beaten great teams, although they beat. Green, uh, they beat bad teams, though. Yeah, you know, the sign of a pretty well, the sign of a well-coached team is that they win. They beat the bad teams, and they are playing Indianapolis, that. which at the moment has no quarterback. Frank Reich, everybody loves him. He's going to be fired at the end of this year because he's the quarterback whisperer. It didn't work with Philip Rivers. It didn't work with Carson Wentz. He just benched Matt Ryan in favor of Sam Ellinger who I last saw playing in Texas seven or eight years ago at the University of Texas. Washington is getting three at Indianapolis. I can't believe that Washington will win this game, but who are you betting on? Well, I'm a little – I'll tell you, it's a good thing they benched Matt Ryan. The Washington pass rush would have killed Ryan. I mean, he's, a, he's sort of a potted plant back there. Yep. Uh, and he's not moving, and he is Statue of Liberty stuff. So He's done. I, I – it is. Do you want to lay three with a first-time starting quarterback? Like this doesn't feel like smart gambling decision here, right? Right. right. First-time starting quarterback. Yes, it's at home. But do you feel you want to lay three with that? Yes, there's going to be a lot of running. Probably a lot of Jonathan Taylor. Um, I can't believe I'm doing this. You're going to take Washington, aren't you? I'm going to take. Oh the my comic. God! It's such a I know, mistake. I know. <laughs> such a mistake. Well, I've got a losing record. I got nothing to lose here. Okay. By the way, to to, to let you know, I'm in Pittsburgh. Oh. Okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm not only in Pittsburgh. I'm at PNC Park. I'm I'm I you know I love October baseball. So of course I came to PNC Park. There's no October baseball. <laughs> well, not there. Not for I'm, a few I'm looking. years. It's yeah. not. It's not here. But it would be a fabulous setting. Yes. 
I, I really encourage you know the the, this, the the Pirates. They ought to they ought to try to be a major league you know team here. The ownership they ought to they ought to do something here. It's a beautiful ballpark. They haven't been good in a long time. It's no. too bad. It's, I really it really actually upsets me. It it's they they should. This is this is a a franchise that you know has real history. Oh my God! Yes. Oh, real history. Absolutely. And for, I mean, in the first World know, Series, I believe. Absolutely. Right? They, they did the best of nine. Isn't there, aren't there one of those ones where they were like involved in the best of nine? <laughs> best of 13, yeah. yeah. That, one, that one weird thing. But for me, like the first, after the Dodgers, the We Are Family team of 79. Sure, I with Stargell. With Stargell. Oh, my God. I, I did the Willie Stargell bat circle. Like, you know, I tried to hit left-handed just to be Willie Stargell. <laughs> to, flip, to roll the bat. We used to do that whole thing. He's wonderful. Yeah. He was the, the total leader of the team. Sat there. I remember that World Series. He sat there after games, and he cracked crabs open, and he spoke to people for hours at a time. Lovely team. Lovely team. All right, good luck with this, Chuck. Good luck. All right, my friend. Talk to you next week. If we gave you Chuck Todd, the host of Meet the Press, and we commend Meet the Press, and we ask you to watch it on Sunday mornings, that would certainly be enough. But we give you a monkey. See the monkey, he's scratching, watching his iPad, smoking and laughing, hanging with Bud Grant, Bud tap, Grant. tap, tapping on his purple attache. Nigel's going to the zoo, zoo, zoo. Reginald's got the vice, by too. Sometimes he throws a poo, poo, poo. When he's had too much Johnny Walker blue. What do you got? What does he got? What is the, the monkey's record right now? Monkey was two and one last week. He's thirteen and eight. He's got He's the best record. Doing all right. He's doing better than Jeff Ma. He's doing better than Chuck Todd. Carville is plus five at sixteen, eleven, and one. The monkey is plus five at thirteen and eight. Doesn't pick as many games as other folks. And again, you, know, you can roll with the monkey by getting a Reginald T-shirt at shop.tonycornersshow.com, where uh, Rob is happy to take your order. He has tickets to go see your Washington Commanders uh, at Indianapolis, and he's wondering if there's going to be an Ursay Snyder uh, little cage match. <laughs> oh, that at the I coin toss. That. That's, that's an interesting. Is that the undercard? Does yeah. Yeah. Snyder go to games? Maybe that's why they're getting the four twenty-five. That'll be the one o'clock. Yeah. Oh, sure. Well, yeah. Yeah. Not sure. I'm not sure if he's steel if he's, cage death match. <laughs> Jimmy Ursay's a big boy. Yeah. He's like 6'3", 250. He's a big boy. I wouldn't count out Snyder, though. He's, uh, he's vicious. Well, Snyder will reach into his trunks and pull out a razor blade. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What do you so got? I went down to the National Zoo, uh, and Reginald was very busy. We were in the middle of rehearsal for the live performance of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which they like to put on around the, uh, around the you know, Halloween. Uh, if you're interested in the casting, Reginald is playing the henchman Riff Raff. Channing Tatum and Amanda Zeifried are playing Brad and Janet. Chris Guest as Dr. Frank Inferter, which oh, I think is genius. Great. This one casting, though, was a little disturbing for me. In the role of Meatloaf, who played Eddie, they have Neil Young. And I'm not sure no. Neil's got the chops for that at no, this point. No. But they were having fun in rehearsal, so they took a break from that to go over these matches. And the first one we gave him was Minnesota at home, giving three and a half to the Cardinals. And this was an easy one for me, for him rather. He Bud just, Grant. Yeah, Come he showed now. me a picture of, uh, of him and Bud Grant ice carving with chainsaws side by side, both in shirt sleeves. Yeah, tells go. me he's got ties to the Vikings. He'll take he them does. and give the of three and a half. Vikes by two. Yes. <laughs> Next one we gave him was the Giants on the road getting three at Seattle. And this was a very old photograph from the early 70s. Showed Reginald having a meeting with Carlo Gambino and Polly <laughs> Castellano. Believe it was about some waste management contracts, but not sure of the details of that. But clearly tells me he's got ties to the New York area. He will take the G-men and the three. And the last match we gave him was... The Commanders, the Nandas, getting three at Indy. 
and he showed me a lovely little photograph of him at Six Flags, you know, the, the amusement park, with Clint Didier, uh, Calvin Muhammad, and Joe Bugle. Apparently, Joe Bugle loves uh, funnel cake. So they were just having a great time. Tells me Didn't he'll take... Snyder own Six Flags? I think he did. And Johnny Rockets? Oh, Didn't yeah. he own all of those things I for a so. while? I don't well, know if he still does. Reginald's a company man, you know? Fantastic. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to do something we've rarely done. We're going to talk to somebody who I don't even know, but whose work I admire greatly, Buzz Bissinger, um, who's written a new book called The Mosquito Bowl. He is, if, you, if you're saying, where do I know that name from? He wrote Friday Night Lights. Okay? He's... He's really good, and I'm pretty sure when he worked at the Philadelphia Inquiry, he won a Pulitzer Prize, yeah. which is one more than I've won. So we'll be back with Buzz Bissinger. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews or coverage of all the biggest stories in the nba our new show is the place to be five days a week download and follow beyond the arc on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your favorite podcasts this This is the tony kornheiser show Show. one more time these are the stivs again back alley rock and roll in the vein of new york dolls meets acdc on October 29th, Saturday night, they'll be at Revival in Salisbury, Maryland. If you're out there, go see them. This is called This Is It. And it plays in Buzz Bissinger, who, again, as I said, has one more Pulitzer Prize than I've got because i got none. And he's a wonderful author, and we're going to talk about a variety of things. And let's start with a new book, which our mutual friend Ted Beichman says is absolutely fabulous called The Mosquito Bowl, A Game of Life and Death in World War II. I'm going to be real easy. Just tell me what the book's about. I've already said it's fabulous. Well, Tony, I appreciate that. The book is about, excuse me, The Mosquito Bowl refers to a football game that was played on Christmas Eve of 1944 between two regiments of of the Marine Corps on the island of Guadalcanal. Um, this was three months before the Battle of Okinawa. And both regiments were absolutely loaded, and I mean loaded, with great football players. Three All-Americans, seven captains, 16 guys who were either drafted or would be drafted um, by the pros. And morale was bad. They were training. They had been training too long. They were getting antsy. You know, they're Marines. They want to know. Am I going to live or I'm going to die? I, I, I want to know. I'm tired of thinking about it because I think about it too much. It gets stuck in my head and I'm going to go nuts. So um, they kept arguing and finally someone said, we're Marines. You know, we don't argue. We get it on. So they had this football game Christmas Eve of 1944. They built goalposts. Uh, they built a regulation field. They printed programs. They had a PA system. It was broadcast on the Mosquito radio Network. It was as, as close to the real thing as you could get. 1,500 Marines came from all over the island, had a blast, drank beer, gambled, went crazy. And it was really the last time those guys on the field and really the spectators were allowed to be boys, allowed to do something that they loved, something that was a piece of their heart, something that was a piece of America that they could transport with them at least for three hours. The score was 0-0. The game was really incidental, except they beat the crap out of each other. 
And the upshot was, and what really got me interested, uh, of the 65 who played in that game, 15 were later killed um, at Okinawa several months later. And so when I read about the game and I read about the aftermath, I said, there's, there's got to be a poignant um, story here, a wrenching story, a story about what war is like, which is really about death, a war about sacrifice, a war about football players uh, leaving us too soon. And so I went off and, and, and did it. it. took five years and came out about a month ago. Let me ask the sort of obvious question here. This is 1944, and everybody knows the word Guadalcanal, and everybody knows how disastrous that was for so many people. Were they not in the war zone? Did they not fear that there would be attacks or anything like that? Their, their time was peaceful as they put this thing together? It was peaceful because uh, the actual Battle of Guadalcanal had taken place two years earlier. Okay. Uh, uh, so, it, so at that point, since we had control of it, they were using it as a staging area. Okay. Uh, in, in, the, in the Pacific. So they really didn't have to worry about that, although there were Japanese soldiers that were still on the island, and occasionally they would run into them. But by and large, it, it was secure. So, so no, they, didn't, they did, did not have to worry about that. Um, draftees or volunteers? This is World War II, the last great morality war were they draftees or volunteers uh, i would say 90 percent were volunteers the oh. marines uh did actually did not take draftees until the end of 1943 so these guys wanted to fight these guys wanted to wanted combat and football players you know given their sense of themselves given their machoism uh, given their perceived toughness, um, gravitated towards the Marines. They they wanted combat. They wanted to get in there, which is why there were so many uh, football players who happened to be uh, with the Marines at that time. You know, it was their choice. It was it was their choice to be a Marine. You probably had to be a little crazy to do it. Right. That actually included my own father, who was there. Um, but they wanted to fight, and believe me, they did. Five years in the making for you? It's a long time. It was a long time. Uh, maybe too long. You know, you get into these things. <clears throat> it was very research-intensive. My other books, like Friday Night Lights, you know, I was there. I was there in Odessa, Texas. Yeah. I could see it. Uh, this was different. This was all historical. The 65 guys who played, 64, were no longer with us. I, I knew that going in. I was worried about that. You know, you're a reporter. I was worried about, you know, could I get at it? Yeah. But I was lucky in the sense that several of the players that I ended up profiling in, in the book that are the narrative true line of the book, um, their families had kept everything. They had kept an incredible paper trail, not just of letters home from the war, but everything in their lives. And once I found that, I said, all right, let's, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's see if I can do it and bring these men alive and bring this, this narrative alive of good men, decent men, as I say in the book, these were ordinary men, ordinary men rising to extraordinary circumstances, which I think is the best thing in life we can be. And, and the one thing in life that many of us never um, achieve, you know, serving with a great sense of honor and, and duty and, and the knowledge that they could get killed, which many, many did. Yeah. And by far the bloodiest fighting in the Pacific. I don't know how many people even remember Okinawa, but it, it, it was a hellstorm. I mean, it was beyond imagination. The name of the book is The Mosquito Bowl, A Game of Life and Death in World War II. I'm going to move on from that because we're all going to read it. I'm going to move on. You mentioned Friday Night Lights. It's a long time ago. You know, we're old. Um, how do you feel about it now? 
How do, how do you feel about what you did? How do you feel about the movie? How do you feel about the TV show? Mm-hmm. Is it yours anymore? You know what I mean? Or is it, is it history now? You know, that's actually a great question because part of me feels like it isn't mine anymore. It's sort of become this, this mythic yeah. thing that, you know, I had a part of and, and had a piece of at the beginning, but it's morphed into so much more. The book came out in 1990. <clears throat> I was a kid. You know, I was 34 years old. I didn't know any better, which is probably one of the reasons it, it worked. I just wanted to write a book. That's all I cared about. I didn't, I didn't care about promotion. I didn't really care about publicity. I didn't really think about any of the stuff that you, know, you think about today. I just wanted to write this book, and I felt high school football occupied a, a place in our society in small towns across the country that had never, ever really been written about. And so I decided to do it and went down to Odessa, Texas with my family. My kids were five years old and spent a year there in 1988 and 89, you know, wrote the book, was was proud of it. And Tony, this, this thing just doesn't stop. I mean, it, yeah. you know, I get comments about it literally every day, every day. This is 30, almost 35 years later. Uh, it's had a shelf life of its own. And as you say, it's, it's kind of a part of history now. It became I thought a really, really good film and, and a really, really good television series. I'm waiting for the musical. That's like the only piece that's left. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I bring this up because, and I'm, I'm sure I'm the only person that remembers this. I'm sure I am. There was a story in the 1970s in New York Magazine called Tribal Rights of Saturday Night. And it was written by a guy named Nick Cohn, who I believe Buzz is British. I'm not certain, but I believe he's British. Mm-hmm. That became Saturday Night Fever. Right. Nick right. Cohn doesn't own that anymore. But without yeah. Nick Cohn, there is no John Travolta movie that everybody has seen 10 times. Everybody has seen this thing. And it started out as a magazine story. Everybody has seen Friday Night Lights. Nobody knows it was a book. But you and me, right? <laughs> they don't know. Well, I, God, I, I hope it's more than just the two of us. But yeah, I mean, when I... When people, somehow it'll come up or, or, I don't know, in conversation or something. And I said, yeah, I know, I know about it. I actually wrote the book. And said, there was a book? <laughs> really? You wrote the book? Yeah, What's I'm the just... book about? I said, well, actually, the book is what started it all. But, but I, remember, uh, I remember that article well. Yeah. And you're right. No one's going to remember Nick Cohn, but nope. they're going to remember Travolta, and yep. they're going to remember the, the dancing. And it's... This is a little bit like it, you know. Oh, okay, you, you played a little piece in history, but, you know, so did the movie, so did the television series. Well, that must be really nice for you. Uh, and it is nice, but it's, it's, it's not like it didn't exist, but it's like, you know, I actually did do this. People look at me and say, nah, you, you know, that's sure. not you. Yeah, you've you got to say, that, say, look, let me explain this to you. There's no movie. <laughs> There's no television show if I don't pound at a typewriter for six months. Yeah, I did I this. Yeah, so. And that's what I tell people. Yeah. And they say, well, gee, that sounds nice. What's, what's Kyle Chandler like? Right. Yeah, what, what, what's, what's really Bob Thornton like? Tim McGraw. <laughs> you, you know Tim McGraw, right? What's he like? Is he a good guy? Yeah. Right. You ever go to his house? You know, his anyway, <laughs> let me move off that. You're a Philly guy. You know, you worked at the Philadelphia Inquirer for years and years and years and years. What does it mean to have the Phillies in the World Series for that town? I don't think that I've ever seen a, a team that has quite a relationship to this city. I'm telling you, I don't know if you watched over the weekend. The fans were absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. And 
look, the Phillies are in a great position because there there were no no expectations on them at all. No one thought they would a ever get into the playoffs at the beginning of the season, and b no one thought they would win anything. And here they are in the World Series. You know, Bryce Harper. I was trying to think, is he like Doctor J? I mean, he's just taken over the city. And the great thing is, he really loves this town. He really, really does. And it's palpable. You can feel it. You can hear it. And there's just, I, I think even if they lose, and I hope they don't, um, you know, as you know, Philadelphia fans are tough. They turn on a dime. And I think this team will go down in history as, as just one of the funnest, uh, one of the most magical teams the city um, has had. And there really is a, a euphoria, a kind of wonderful euphoria about, you know, these miracle workers out of nowhere who are getting clutch hits all over the place at magical times. I mean, Harper's home run reminded me a little bit of Kirk Gibson's home run mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in Oakland in 88. You know, he hit it, and the world stopped. I mean, the world of Philadelphia stopped. You, you sort of blinked six times. You could not believe it. You couldn't believe that this was actually happening, and the Phillies were going to get um, into the World Series. And I, so I think the effect is... Yeah. is has really been wonderful. I would have two words for Bob Melvin, Josh Hader. Those would just be my words. I'm on the other <laughs> side of the aisle from you because I'm in the city that Bryce Harper scorned. Uh, I've always been happy that the Nationals won a World Series without him. I want to hate him. I don't. I can't. I always liked him so much as a player. I was happy for him when he hit that home run. I'd like you to assess Philadelphia fans. My son who's sitting with me went to school at Penn, and I've spent a lot of time in Philadelphia. They're the roughest, meanest fans in the world, but when they love you, however long it lasts, and it doesn't last forever, when they love you, nobody loves you like Philadelphia fans loves you, right? As an aside, when did your son go to Penn? Graduated in 08. Yeah. All right, well, well, we are fellow Penn alums. Um, Oh, cool. I didn't graduate in 08. I'm not going to tell you when I graduated. It's way too depressing. Yeah. Um, but, Tony, you're right. Look, the, the thing I always thought about Philadelphia fans is, perversely, they actually liked it when the team lost. Because, you know, you, you listen to talk radio, the team would win, and the Eagles would win a game, and no one will call. No one cared. No, no one cared. They lose. Oh, my God. The switchboard is completely overflowing. You can't get on. It's one gripe after another, and I always thought they're enjoying this. In their own perverse Philadelphia way, they are really, really enjoying this. And, and you go to a game, and I remember going to games in the in the '80s uh, or in the '90s when they when they were good and they were making a run for the for the World Series. And the second pitch, you know, if a guy got a single, you could start hearing the booze. <laughs> you, could, you, could, you could hear people; the shoulders were melting. Yeah. They were having conniption pissing. Oh God, it's over. They stink. The Phillies stink. God, I can't believe it. They are always looking for disaster, and a lot of times they get disaster. You know, they're, they're tough. There's the famous story, which also is true. There was a jail that was built inside the old veteran stadium. In the vet, stadium. In the vet a yeah. jail. Yeah. Because people are getting so drunk and so, so crazy. Uh, just for the hell of it, I took my son and sat in the 700 level for a playoff game when the, when the Eagles actually won the Super Bowl. It was wild. I mean, I, I felt I it, I don't know where I felt that was. It was a sociological phenomenon watching these people get drunker and drunker and drunker and angrier and angrier and angrier. And fortunately, we, we, we got out alive. Uh, but there is something sui generis about them. And, and they do turn on time. But, man, you're, you're right. When, 
and you know, look, I think the city's in marvelous condition. I've been here a long time, 40 years. I think that, but there's always that slight proverbial chip on the shoulder. We never get the credit we deserve. We never get it the due we deserve. And I still think, even if it's subconscious, there's the great legacy of 1964 when the uh, Phillies were ahead by six games and I think lost 10 out of 11, game, 11 games to lose the pennant. You bet. And nobody, nobody has ever, ever forgotten Kept that. pitching the same two guys, right? Chris Short that's and Jim right. Bunning. Kept pitching. <laughs> you're, when you're are you going to learn? That's the definition of insanity. It's not working. Change it up. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. And you're, you're exactly right. And, but this is different because no, no one expected them to get here. No one. Right. No one. And I agree with you with Bryce Harper. Oh. You know, when he came here, I said, oh, God, he's going to be a pain in the ass. It's going to be like he was in Washington. He's going to start whining. And something happened to that guy. And I think this city fits his personality for whatever reason. He, he likes that it. it's kind of a working class town. And he really does identify with it. And I think it's had a tremendous um, you know, tremendous difference. Don't worry, he'll do something, you know, he'll make an error while he's DHing, but something will happen. He'll strike out at the wrong time and people will start booing and then we'll, we'll be back to square one. That's right. There's normalcy returns. Thank you so much for being on. Let me say it one more time. The name of the book is The Mosquito Bowl, A Game of Life and Death in World War II. I'm very grateful that Ted said put Buzz on. Thanks so much. Liked it. Okay, thank you, Tony. Big fan. Thank you so much. Buzz Bissinger, boys and girls. And one more time. He's the guy who wrote um, Friday Night Lights that became sort of oh, a was metaphor. That a, was that a book first? It was a book first. became a, a, a metaphor for high school sports in the United States of America. It's it's a fabulous piece of work. We'll take a break. Email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening, You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. That is Kelly Vickstrom Hoyt. That's right. What kind of... That's an accordion. That's an accordion, isn't yeah. it, for Oktoberfest? Squeeze Squeezebox. Yeah, Squeezebox, exactly. It's a squeezebox. Yeah. Kelly Vickstrom, Vickstrom Hoyt. Lovely. Bethesda Bagels here? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let's try this. He's the hairy-handed gent who ran amok in Kent. Lately, he's been overheard in Mayfair. You better stay away from him. He'll rip your lungs out, Jim. <laughs> I'd like to meet his tailor. He's just so great beyond words. Thanks to our guest today, Chuck Todd, Buzz Bissinger. That was great. Thanks to today's sponsor, Shopify Simply Safe. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, Please leave us a review. We are fully in quarter zip season. Just watch the Manning Brothers. Uh, TK yeah. Meal Deal for JohnnyO.com is still available for the rest of the month. Or you can celebrate your favorite baseball team if they're still playing. Uh, John is a new, he calls it a blazer meets a cardigan, the Tudor. Ooh. I believe we have to have this. Oh, the I, Tudor. Think, I think we need to have that. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Here's, here's one from David Merkowitz from Westerville, Ohio, which is near Galena, Ohio. As Les and Jose have shared, we have quite a traffic issue here in Northeast Franklin County and Southeast Delaware County. The key for all the littles is how to avoid said closed road. The best alternative route is to take Lewis Center Road to Bale Kenyon Road to Worthington Road to Powell Road, which becomes Gemini Parkway heading west and hence on to Polaris Parkway. Right. Yes. You could also take Big Walnut 
all the over uh, the Ohio 3 State Street, but you have to be careful because you're sneaky north at that point, which is fine for the Galena people, but a real pain for those in Westerville proper. Yep. And don't even get me started on how Africa Road got its name in the first place. Also, I walk past Carla Corrado's desk at Otterbein University here in Westerville when I check my mail in the history department mailroom. It, I'm blown away by that email. I am. It's just fantastic. Nothing better than traffic workarounds. No. From Jared, the gummy bear guy. He was the guy who introduced us, oh. got us off Haribo. Albany's. Got us, got us to Albany's, which are now in my house all yep. the time. And you won't try the gummy worms. Tell, I don't... Gummy worms are okay, but they're not as good as gummy bears. Tell Lesson Jose that as a Central Ohio expat, I know these roads too. (laughs) Have they by chance eaten at the Lucky House in Westerville, the best Chinese food anywhere? Perhaps this might be a new game? From George Olive in Los Angeles, California. After spurning many of my advances, Ingrid Nordgaard is soon to be my bride. After spurning many of its advances, Ingrid finally warmed to the show, thanks, of course, to the mystery of the Rehoboth Beach water bill. She will now listen to the show with me on road trips, sometimes not even grudgingly. Can she be the official Arctic Circle native of the show? Big shout out to the fine citizens of Sarisa, Norway, population 3450, for her, their finest export. I'm enclosing an invitation. On the backside, you'll see an RSVP form. Kindly RSVP no to all events. Thank you, sir, and for this show. P.S. Eat it, Rosenblum. From Mark Schaefer. Stewart Shops make the best peanut butter ice cream in North America. It's, uh, it's an upstate thing. Mark Schaefer sends it to us. I'm not a peanut butter ice cream it's, guy. No, it's not your flavor, is it? From John Leo in Santa Fe. Forget the World Series. Forget Zion's latest injury. Forget the topsy-turvy, don't-make-sense NFL season. Inquiring minds want to know what's in your wallet. Well, that's is that the new game? Well, no, that's the Capital One motto. So yeah. I think I think they got a little bit of that today. Questions. Been Capital answered. One has their hands in my wallet. <laughs> What's in your wallet? I'm writing out checks. And again, you don't have to worry about me. I've got enough money to cover it. But come on, well, I'm worried that you keep opening up more credit lines. Interest <laughs> compounded minute by minute. Stop, stop. George Crummer. He's he's sent us stuff before. Believe so. My son Thomas and I are regular listeners to the podcast. After your experience at Burger King, I felt you are now the expert to answer a question we encountered during a recent discussion. If you, if I have unused ketchup sauce packets left over after eating at a fast food restaurant, the packets came from a self-serve container on the counter, should I A, leave the packets on the table, neatly arranged for the next guest to use, B, return them to the container on the counter, or C, throw them away? What you mm. say, Michael? I'll leave them on the table. Okay. And neatly arranged, let somebody know that this isn't, you've done this intentionally. They've, it's well, not just a been note. tossed. Put a note on top. They're going to get thrown out anyway, but yeah. it gives it a chance. From uh, Shad, a haiku for <laughs> Brady, Rogers, etc. So Inexorable. <laughs> Handwriting is on the wall. Time to get out now. From James Snow, Herndon, Virginia. Are there Packers tanking for Victor Wembanyama? Everybody's tanking for him. <laughs> Eric Wolf in Arlington, Virginia. It was wonderful to hear. Reverend David Howell's letter read on last Friday's show. Well, I cannot speak to the religiosity of your average Palo Altoan. I hear he has a very robust congregation. He's a very engaging pastor. But the story deserves a little more history and color than made it through the tenuous path between me, my 90-year-old aunt, and her minister. You see, my grandfather, a blessed memory, lived on Van Ness Street in D.C. Well into his 90s, he would walk in the neighborhood to do his shopping. One of his regular stops was Calvert Woodley, where he would, yes, really, buy some of the fine dairy products at La Cheeserie. He may have been the proto-little. Tell the Sands family we think of their store finally, fondly and tell um, Reverend Howell my aunt still thinks the world of him. Uh, it's, it's lovely, isn't it? That's a nice note, yes. I might have missed his letter entirely if the woman to whom I'm related by marriage had not been listening to the show. 
She heard it and she thought, Eric Wolf. That's interesting. I guess there were a lot of people named Eric Wolf. Oh, wait, that's my Eric Wolf. <laughs> and then called me with glee in her voice to tell me you made the podcast. If there are any other littles named Eric Wolf, let's start a club. <laughs> and from Chuck Kamurik in Somerville, South Carolina, I was driving by Kane Bay High School. Yes, that Kane Bay High School while listening to the pod. And their mailbag theme begins to play. And that's as close as I have ever gotten to a David Aldridge moment. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. But we don't have the chaputzfah to do it. It beats for a less traveler.